word of what I hope is encouragement today. Um, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. We have that PowerPoint up. Okay, so, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I'm quite, not amazed, but I'm not surprised that there are very many parallels in the Bible where God, Jesus talks about um, God's work in our life into like gardening. There's, there's many things. <laughs> and um, so yesterday we spent the whole day gardening at our daughter's house. She was supposed to be... She was supposed to get married during COVID, but couldn't because of COVID. <laughs> so she made a new plan that they would have the wedding at their house. They brought a house with a garden that was not being touched in years. <laughs> so thus parents were called round to help with the work. And um, it was hard. <laughs> and that's only a fraction <laughs> of what we had to do yesterday. Um, and then in bed last night when our bodies were aching and sore and everything, I was this this verse came to my mind in that. And um and I was, because when we first looked at the garden, I looked at it and thought, where do we begin? There's just so much. And what part do we tackle first? And then you'd start that and then you'd look around and you'd see all these other things and you'd think, oh Lord, this is bigger than we can do. And then I realized, well, God's bigger. <laughs> so that was encouraging. And then, then I think about the physical pain that's involved in having work done and doing work like this, and when God does work in our lives, it's, it's painful sometimes, it's, it hurts in that, and we should be encouraged by that too, because if nothing ever happened in our lives to change us, then what would be the point in that? So God working in our lives is painful, and it requires maintenance. So once we done, they can't just leave it like that because it will go back to the state that it was in before we worked on it. So when God works in our lives, it is constant maintenance as well. And, that, and only God can bring about the end result of sanctification in us. Nothing we can do, him and him alone, who will bring us to the day of completion when we meet Jesus Christ. So be encouraged in your daily walk. It's painful sometimes. You know, God never said it would be say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 1, 31 verse 6. And he never said that he would click his fingers and it would, we will be perfect. Never anywhere in the Bible does God say that it's done, except creation and that. But he did say, have perseverance, James 1, 2 to 4, and Romans 5, 3 to 5, and carry on, keep working, keep doing what God requires of us to do. So, Philippians 1.6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you and me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So please, be encouraged. I feel very privileged to be, to be here. Um, and I just... It's a joy to open God's word. It's a joy to speak about the Saviour. And the subject that I want to 
speak about this morning is servanthood. Um, first of all, I wonder if you're familiar with the Victorian butler. You might have seen the program Upstairs, Downstairs. In many wealthy English homes had lots of servants and the masters didn't do any of the work and they had servants down in the lower level who did all the work but there was one person in that house that was the go-between between the kitchen and drawing room, that was the word I wanted, between the kitchen and the drawing room, and that one person was the butler. The butler could take the instructions of the master, which would be very simple, very straightforward, and convert them into individual instructions for each of the servants at the lower level. He was equally at home in the drawing room as he was in the kitchen. In reality, he was the servant of the master, but he was also the master of the servants. And now to God's word. The prophet Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah contains four servant songs that deal with and reveal the nature and the work of the servant of Jehovah. These four are contained between Isaiah chapter 42 and Isaiah chapter 40, uh, 53. Today I want to look at Isaiah 42. So Isaiah 42 and verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, we've been presented with a servant. But who is this servant? And there's been much speculation about who the servant might have been. Israel to this day consider themselves to be the servant of Jehovah. Joshua and Moses in the scriptures are said to be servants of Jehovah. Also the prophets are considered to be servants or declared to be servants of Jehovah. But who is it? Who is this servant of Jehovah? One of the things, one of the characteristics of the scriptures is they can be their own interpreter. 
And in this case, we're going to do just that. We go to Matthew chapter 12. And for connection, we'll begin to read at verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from them. Many followed him and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, what we have just read. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smouldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Now we notice, first of all, he says, Behold my servant. This is issued as a command. This is something that we need to pay attention to. It's an imperative and it's expressed as a command, an exhortation or an entreaty, a pleading. And in the case of this scripture, it's all three. Because God is longing to bless us. God is longing to show all the good that he has for us. But he can only do it one way, and that way is through his beloved son. And <coughs> the third word in this statement, behold my servant. This servant is a special male servant, an intimate, trusted one. The word is taken as is all of the New Testament, from secular Greek. And the word is taken across into the scriptures. But in the process, it is infused with much greater meaning. And this is not uncommon, because our word church is like that. It has been infused with a meaning that was never in the original language. And the agape love of God is another one. The secular Greek has no thought or concept of the love of a loving God. So we have this word servant. And it's used of our Lord Jesus. First of all, in Luke chapter 2 and verses 41 to 43... This is when Jesus was 12 years old. 
Now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. So this word can also mean a special boy. It's also used in, we see it again in, in Acts, uh, with Peter's second sermon on the day of, or after the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 3 and verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he, was when he had decided to release him. His servant Jesus. And over in verse 26. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So there's a special role for this servant. And in a prayer in chapter 4 and verse 27. For truly in this city there was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So this servant, John MacArthur sums it up very well. He says, the father is saying, this is my servant, not just any servant, but my son servant, the trusted, intimate one, the chief one, the royal one, the supernatural one. And then he adds, my beloved, my beloved one. And we might say that he is the beloved Son who serves. And what are the characteristics of this servant of Jehovah? God clearly acknowledged him because he said, Behold my servant. And he issued it as an instruction. He is God's choice because God says, I have chosen him. He is beloved of God. He says, He's my beloved. And he is his delight, in whom my soul is well pleased. And what is the ministry of this servant of Jehovah? First of all, it's a spirit-filled ministry, because he says, I will put my spirit on him. It's a universal ministry, because he says, he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Remember him speaking to the woman of Samaria, a five times divorced woman, and he was so patient with her that she 
became a witness for him. It's a gentle ministry. He will not quarrel or cry out. And it amazes me as I read through the Gospels, the patience that Jesus had with the Pharisees. They mocked him, they riddled him, ridiculed him, they questioned him, they plotted to kill him. But he always dealt with them patiently and kindly. On one occasion they called him a Samaritan. And to call a Jew a Samaritan is about the worst insult that you can bring. And Jesus didn't even respond. They never bothered to do it again. It's a dignified ministry because he says he will not raise his voice in the streets. He spoke with dignity. He spoke with meekness. He always said, I, get, I say what my father has given me to say. The, the thought behind this raised voice is of a yapping dog or a picture of somebody on a soapbox or somebody with a ha loud hailer on a street corner shouting out that you get to see on TV from time to time. But that was not the way with him. It's a compassionate ministry. He says a battered reed he will not break. See him dealing with a woman taken in adultery. And he says to her, are there any accusers left? And she says, no. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and commit this sin no more. Also, there's a, a little story about shepherd boys in Israel at that time who would take one of these reeds and carve a little flute and play a simple tune on it. Perhaps when he puts it in his pocket, it gets crushed. And next time he brings it out, it won't play. And it just says to me that the Lord Jesus can restore the song in your heart. It's a restorative ministry. A smouldering wick he will not put out. See him dealing also when you read through the Gospels the patience that he had with his disciples. Over and over again he sought to instruct them and prepare them for what was going to happen in Jerusalem. They never got it. Even when he rose from the dead and they were told about it, they didn't believe. I remember years ago somebody saying that nobody had a duller Bible class than the Lord Jesus. And perhaps the leader of that Bible class was a man named Peter. Peter's name is mentioned 
in the New Testament 156 times. And most of those are in the Gospels and Acts. There's only one other person who appears more often and that's the Apostle Paul. Peter was called to follow, called to be a fisher of men. Peter was the one who recognised that Jesus was the Messiah. He was also the one who was rebuffed as being a servant of Satan because he sought to turn Jesus away from his God-given ministry. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he swore that he was willing to die for him. He was absolutely adamant. And I, I to me, I think he, he, he believed it. He was genuine. But within hours, within hours, he was denying that he ever knew him, calling down curses upon himself. And then the Lord Jesus looked at him and he remembered and he went out and he wept bitterly. When I was a boy growing up and I got things wrong and made a bit of a mess, Dad would say I dirtied my ticket. And Peter, after the resurrection, on the lake shore, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And this implied that he was going to continue to do it. He had got to the point where he had dirtied his ticket. And he might as well go back to what he knew. But standing on a lake shore was someone who called for him the Lord Jesus. And Peter was invited to a breakfast like no other. And it's recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 21. And it is one of my favourite, favourite passages of Scripture. John Chapter 21, uh, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? More than these, more than these other men, more than these fish, do you love me? More than these. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. 
No longer a follower. No longer a fisher of men. Now he is a shepherd of the flock. Now he's to spiritually nourish the people of God. He's to shepherd them. He's to watch over them and care for them and pray over them. And did he fulfill that role? Did Peter fulfill that role? First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, 30 to 35 years later, Peter writes this. And it's from his own experience. Shepherd and guide and protect the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not motivated for shameful gain, but with whole-hearted enthusiasm. Peter had been transformed by the love and the care of the Lord Jesus. So what does this message have for us? We go back to the verse we started with, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom, in whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit upon him. Recently it, it dawned on me that this scripture can be applied to all of us. We are all, if we are born again believers, followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus, we are his servants. He upholds us. We are all his chosen ones. We delight his very soul. He has blessed us with the gift of his spirit. And so I ask again, Perhaps there's someone here who feels they've dirty dead ticket. Perhaps there's someone here who thinks that they've done something. Like Peter, when he betrayed the Lord, they've done something that there's no going back from. They're finished. It isn't true. He can restore you and fit you for service. So let us each go forward and serve our Saviour and bring praise and honour and praise and honour and glory to his blessed name. Amen.